Welcome to Law Technology Now with host Monica Bay, Editor-in-Chief of ALM's award-winning magazine, Law Technology News. Hear the latest about technology for the legal community. If it's tech, it's a topic right here. Hi, I'm Monica Bay, Editor-in-Chief of Law Technology News. Welcome back to Law Technology Now. Uh, Today's guest has graced the pages of Law Technology News for, I think, the entire 12 years I've been the editor. Uh, Ross Codner has... uh, pretty much known as Mr. Small Firm Technology. And Ross, tell our uh, listeners, if you would please, a little bit about Microlaw and what your role is there and how you spend your days. Sure, Monica. I'd be happy to. And thanks very much for having me here today. Uh, What I've done now, actually for the last 25 years, we celebrated our business anniversary on June 26th, is work with small to medium-sized law firms and corporate legal departments, helping them figure out the best ways to integrate all aspects of technology and practice management techniques into the flow of their practices. That can range anywhere from performing an overall technology and practice management evaluation to helping firms with specific projects like uh, being prepared for uh, automating a a trial or implementing a document management system or virtually anything in between. In terms of how I spend my days, uh, probably 30 to 40 percent of my time is spent on the road delivering CLE programs about practice management and technology issues. And the balance of the time is working with my clients who range from solo practitioners to about uh, three to 500 person uh, entities, law firms and legal departments uh, across North America and to some extent uh, across the world. And I know how much everyone appreciates your your uh, CLE programs. They are always packed, which I can attest to from personal experience. And Ross, today we're going to talk about your wonderful story, which we call The Big Squeeze. And it's in our new July issue of Law Technology News. And I asked you to tackle the question of what can a small firm with a small case and an even smaller budget how can they get over the David versus Goliath uh, feeling of, oh, you know, oh my, I'm going to go into the courtroom and there's probably going to be a big firm lawyer against, against me? You wrote a fabulous piece on how lawyers can use tools they probably already own and actually hold their own in the courtroom, if not excel. So let's walk through that piece a little bit and, and, What's the first and the most important thing that a small firm lawyer who's going to go to court needs to think about in terms of his or her technology? Sure. Well, I, I think that the, the the key element today is that with cases large and small and clients large and small, the, the needs related to the management of electronic information in terms of trial preparation, the pretrial process of marshalling information and discovery management and case analysis and case preparation and also preparation of information for proceedings, for depositions, for hearings, uh, and for trials themselves are, are, the, are really the same. The only difference, I think, in the great scheme of things is the scale. Uh, if somebody is trying a simple auto accident case, it's uh, a, a very different level of scale versus multi-party global uh, litigation. But the, but the concepts are exactly the same. So really all we have to do is scale down the concepts and then use tools that small firms have, in many cases, already available. In some cases, having to buy literally nothing else. So a small firm lawyer who might think, well, you know, we can't really uh, swing the budget and neither can my client uh, to buy a piece of, of, of core 
litigation pretrial information management software like uh, like CT summation or LexisNexis's concordance. But from the perspective of transcript review, discovery management, uh, organizing and managing information related to case strategy, and then ultimately for matters that, that actually move forward to a proceeding, presentation of that visual information, there are a range of what I would consider sort of guerrilla-level tools available. And you uh, talked in the article, Ross, about how folks could use a product, and I believe the one that you cited was a Real Legal has an e-transcript reader that's free, and you compared it to sort of like thinking about the equivalent of being Acrobat PDF reader. Tell, tell our listeners a little bit about how you suggested that the, uh, that litigators could could use that product to accomplish some of the goals you just stated. Sure. Well, as an alternative to using um, what I would consider big iron or big dollar uh, transcript management readers and tools like CT summation or concordance or uh, or um, or uh, live note SR from from Thompson. Uh, instead, many court reporters will provide electronic transcripts using a, a what's become a very standard format from the company called Real Legal, who does produce a series of paid products, but they do provide something called the e-transcript reader, which is a free tool that can read uh, read transcripts that have been prepared in that particular format by many court reporters. And so the court reporter themselves can provide that free reader, uh, or you can download it from the real legal website. And so in a sense, it's sort of an analogy to, as, as you mentioned, Monica, to the Adobe Acrobat reader uh, coming free on virtually every computer sold in the last you know, almost 20 years. Uh, you don't need to buy anything in order to be able to view those files. It's a perfect alternative to what I see so many small firms struggling with, trying to actually import a, a court reporter formatted transcript into, say, Microsoft Word or, or even WordPerfect and ending up with a jumbled mess with pagination off and spacing off and, and making it virtually unsightable. And so something like Real Legal eTranscript Reader is a perfect solution. So all a small firm lawyer has to do is when they're working with the reporter, whether one they've, they've hired or one that, that, uh, that uh, their adversary has hired, is just make contact with that reporter, find out what electronic formats they can provide the transcripts in. And in most cases, it will be the Real Legal eTranscript format. And simply ask that the files be provided that way. Uh, now, you and, also, Ross, uh, offered some... I thought just brilliantly simple and very pragmatic tips because one of the things that the more, um, uh, as you call it, big iron programs offer is the ability to highlight and track and, 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 uh, 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 synchronize some of the uh, notes you might want to make to a particular part of the transcript, but you came up with, with a, a way to accomplish that goal that is very basic. Tell, tell the, the listeners, if you would, uh, how to do that without having to buy and learn these big iron software programs. Sure. Well, w- one of the things to do is just to harness the power of the Microsoft, whatever Microsoft Office suite version someone has. And, and tools like Excel and, and, and Word, uh, with a little bit of creativity, can allow some pretty significant level uh, of organization in terms of managing discovery, managing the contents of transcripts, uh, and even managing the, the general uh, facts related to a case and progression of events, et cetera. And so I have a number of clients that, that we've helped simply create Excel tables. Uh, they create Excel spreadsheets. 
that typically have columns representing key items that someone might track uh, in terms of summarizing transcripts and want to be able to search through and cross-reference. So, you know, the obvious things like page and line number, what issues a particular passage of testimony might relate to or what witnesses uh, or what cause of what cause of action or uh, being able to, to put notes down or to be able to cross-reference it to documents that have, have come in in response to discovery requests. Uh, and, and then have full searchability of that information. Now, is it as elegant uh, and does it offer as many features and searchability and reporting options as big iron products? Uh, of course not. But is it infinitely better than doing nothing? A- absolutely. And in, in many cases, it'll feel, uh, I think, more comfortable and more familiar to many lawyers and paralegals who already, in most cases, at least know the basics of using programs like Excel and certainly, in most cases, more than the basics of using a program like Word. So a table in Word or a spreadsheet in Excel can be a remarkable tool for keeping organized in cases of almost any size. And in your article, you go on to talk about discovery management, discovery requests, trial presentation with a lot of similar types of of suggestions and hands-on advice on how to... um, how to be able to have the confidence to go into court when you don't have that big budget. Um, it's a terrific article, and as I said, it's in our July issue, which you can find at www.lawtechnologynews.com. And Russ, before we switch gears and take a break and then talk about our cover story in that issue, uh, give us just a couple quick pointers on how you can reduce cost for the strategy and management and and the flow of, of, of information in a case? Sure. I, I think one of the biggest challenges is not so much dealing with the ground-level detail of summarizing transcripts and managing discovery. I think that's all manageable. But I think sometimes the bigger picture in terms of what's our case about and, and if you, you're working with a couple of people, how do you all stay on the same page in terms of what's happened, what were the events, what's the sequence or chain of, of transactions that might have occurred that are part and parcel of core of the matter that's that's being litigated. And I think one of the ways to do that is a way that, that I think most people never really use, which makes no sense to me. You know, I've written for you a number of times, Monica, for, for LTN about small firm practice management and especially how to push practice management software programs like uh, STI's Practice Master or Amica's Attorney or LexisNexis's Time Matter or Client Profiles or any number of other products and using them to manage factual information uh, in the progression of a litigated matter and simply creating custom uh, screens that can track all the information related to a case, all of the parties, all of the issues, information about all the witnesses, experts, about co-counsel, about opposing counsel, about courts, about the various vendors that might be involved, from court reporters to forensic technologists, and then to be able to track and manage all discovery, all the outbound discovery requests, uh, what's been received yet, all the inbound discovery that comes in, where has it come from, uh, what is it about, even incorporating the idea uh, that we just talked about of Excel spreadsheets or Word tables to track uh, transcript summaries and discovery, link those back in and let the practice management system be a centralizing source. We have to take a break, Ross, so I'm going to cut you off. Uh, one final note on your story that I particularly liked was your recommendation that sometimes it's really appropriate just to go ahead and buy specialized software. And I know you cited one of the, the products that I hear constant raves about, which is LexisNexis's case map. Uh, we've been talking with Ross Codner, who's CEO and senior legal technologist of Milwaukee's. 
Micro Law. We're going to take a brief break to hear a word from our sponsors, and then we're going to come back and tell you about the new LTN Vendor Satisfaction Survey. I'm Monica Bay. Interested in having a show on Legal Talk Network? We'd like to talk to you about building your firm's marketing strategy with legal podcasts. Give us a call at 781-551-9960. That's LegalTalkNetwork.com. Legal Talk Network has been producing award-winning legal podcasts since 2005. Subscribe to our RSS feed and start downloading today. It's free. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. Welcome back. I'm Monica Bay, Editor-in-Chief of Law Technology News, and we are today with Ross Codner, one a longtime contributor to Law Technology News. And Ross, we're very grateful for your many years of just excellent, excellent writing. Ross is the head of Microlaw, a consulting firm in Wisconsin. And Ross, you were kind enough to be one of the folks who gave me some comments about the results of the first LTN Vendor Satisfaction Service. Survey. This was not done by the LTN uh, editorial team. It was done by our colleagues in the um, uh, in ALM's uh, intelligence unit, and we were very very excited about it. Uh, they had 505 qualified respondents, which means folks that were actively involved in the recommendation or purchasing of technology. And they were asked to um, rank and review um, the work of many vendors. Uh, the vendors that were chosen were based on those vendors who had submit, had nominated themselves to last year's um, uh, uh, the Vendor Awards Survey. Um, so it was a good turnout. And to no one's surprise, the... Uh, number one criteria that was cited by the um, folks who were responding was customer service. Um, it was a landslide. It was 77% of all of the respondents and of the folks who, when we broke it down and looked only at the small firms and the large firms, the numbers for those two groups were in the 80s. Uh, Ross, what's your sense of of the mood right now um, among the entire legal community and why there was such an absolute outcry of uh, demand for customer service responsiveness to issues and prompt resolutions? Well, because I think that, that as lawyers have become more and more business savvy, pressed by the the demands of this this changed and, and much tighter economy, uh, I think the level of tolerance for software products that don't perform as advertised or don't perform as expected uh, has dropped uh, a- 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 absolutely off the radar screen. People are, are fed up. People expect to get what they pay for. People are tired of new product releases that 
that come too quickly uh, before a firm can even assimilate the changes of the prior version. And firms want to actually use the programs that they've purchased instead of just scratching the surface. Instead of using even something as ubiquitous as Microsoft Word, like a typewriter, firms are pushing their tools. And, it, and it's about time. It makes sense to better use what you already have instead of buying new things. And I think the only way that works is to have a a, a vendor who can provide reasonably responsive and contemporaneous answers to questions and answers that, that, that don't cause other problems. So having tech support people who are actually familiar with those products. And so I think that we're seeing a bit of a backlash also to the offshore outsourcing trend. People are very tired of having somebody answer the phone who clearly doesn't really know the product in many cases, doesn't work for that company, and, and requires somebody to follow some rigid, sometimes utterly ridiculous flowchart you know, somebody could call and say, uh, there's fire shooting out of the back of my laptop. And, and to have somebody say, well, sir, we'll have to follow the flow chart. And, you know, is the green light on? Uh, makes people crazy. And I, I think Absolutely. that there's no, no, no tolerance for that anymore. It's funny you should say that because in the lead to my story, that what I led with was forget about road rage. You know, just ask anybody who's tried to call an airline or, you know, a technology company to get help. And it, I know from personal experience, Righteous indignation has become my second favorite emotion. Um, we asked in the in the survey the the respondents were asked to rank nine factors that uh, were considered when they were making purchase decisions, and uh, it was very interesting how they came about. the The top couple ones, obviously, as we've just discussed. The customer service was landslide, the most important. But it was interesting. Other highly sought-after features were how easy is it to integrate into the firm workflow? What are the features and functions? Price for value. Price for value was interesting. That drew 61.4%. And it, I think that taps into some of the issues you just mentioned. Uh, uh, the sense that I got from analyzing the results was that uh, the the uh, organization's price is not the most important thing. They just want it to work. They want it to work right. They want it to be intuitive. You know, the we've talked at length in the past about the problems when all these, particularly EDD vendors, use the same 12 words to describe their product or service, and it means totally different things. So there's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, I think, not so hidden anger that's out there. Uh, one of the most interesting things, and we just have a minute uh, or so left, uh, when I was analyzing the first blush of this, and again, as I said, our editorial team was not involved in this. This came out of our intelligence division, so I was seeing it at first blush. Um, Interestingly, I asked the uh, team, the intelligence team, to recrunch the numbers and and look at the differences that emerged if they looked at only small firm respondents and then only large firm respondents. And when I thought about it, this probably wasn't too terribly surprising, but one definite trend that came out was that even when the larger firms are satisfied with a product, that they're a little reticent to want to recommend it to their peers. And the, the first version of the story, which is in the print magazine, um, uh, I got that processed. And then I thought about it a little bit longer. And I actually added some more to the online version because the thing that didn't jump out at me, Ross, when I first 
tackle this was the obvious, which is, well, if anyone's had anything to do with any large firm, they know that they do not want their competition to know what they are doing. So, I apologize in advance that the print version missed the most obvious uh, 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 aspect of it. But do you think, aside from competition, Ross, is there anything else that is fueling a reticence for the larger firms in particular to want to tell their peers that they really like a product? Um, you, you know, I, I guess my sense is the, the, the large firm mentality seems to be so different than the small and mid-sized firm mentality. And I think that if there's a reticence, it might be something that's interpreted as reticence, but I think the reality is it might not be an issue that's even thought about. Everybody is scrambling so hard to get their work done, and there is a leaner staffing situation in, in firms of all sizes, which means people are handling heavier and heavy, heavier caseloads, hopefully relying more on technology to make up for sometimes the lack of depth in personnel availability of personnel, but I think, Monica, it's an, it's an issue that, that's a non-sequitur, that I'm not sure that the issue is being given that much thought in the rush to simply get through the, the chaos that, that is, a, is a typical work day, and especially in a lighter staff work day. I think that's well, you, really what's happening. You may be absolutely right, and unfortunately, we could talk about this for quite a long time, but we're out of time. So I first want to thank Ross Codner. Uh, again, you are with Micro Law based in Milwaukee. And uh, anyone who wants to get a hold of you, Ross, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, the best way is through microlaw.com or my email address, as always, is R. Codner at microlaw.com. And Monica, thanks very much for having me. Well, Ross, that brings us to the end. We could have easily talked for another hour and a half on this. I thank you so much for your time. And uh, I'm delighted to have everyone listening with us. If you want more information, you can visit www.lawtechnologynews. And of course, you can find Law Technology Now in three places. Uh, with our partners at the Legal Talk Network at www.legaltalknetwork.com, at our site, www.lawtechnologynow.com, and as I always say, because we are so cool on iTunes. And thanks to everyone in our New York and Boston offices. And with that, I want to remind everyone that to remember that there is no crying in baseball or technology. And we'll see you in August. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Law Technology Now is produced by the broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening. Join Monica Bay for next month's podcast on the technology issues affecting the legal profession today.